All right. So I've gone ahead and pinned the lawsuit. The lawsuit basically is alleging four counts. As far as I can see, it is a violation of Florida Securities and Investor Protection Act. This is very similar to a previous lawsuit that we've reported on here on LexLine, which was filed against several high-profile uh, endorsers and celebrities who promoted FTX, including uh, both athletes and celebrities in the film and movie industry. Tom Brady was named in that lawsuit, along with several others. And this lawsuit appears to be a continuation of the same theory, and that theory being that because FTX was marketing yield-bearing uh, accounts, that these accounts could be in violation of securities law, and that if these accounts violate securities law, then the people who promote them are also in violation of securities law by promoting and, I guess, again, allegedly failing to disclose uh, how they were compensated. I see that Jenko has jumped in the house, so I'm going to bring Jenko up to co-host. This is one of many developments going on in the space, but just something I thought I'd put out there to talk about. And of course, we've got AI is also top of mind. And I'm curious to get Jenko's thoughts if he's had a chance to play with chat GPT and its latest upgrade. I know I did. And I was very surprised to see that uh, it got it wrong when I gave it a very generic legal prompt. Jenko, what's good? Happy Friday. What's up, Carlo? Thanks for... Uh getting the show started i can always be counted on to not be able to connect right at 12 30 um yeah ai is super 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 interesting i've had some conversations in fact this morning with some some people who are deep in it um and it's really 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 fascinating this lawsuit i haven't had a chance to look through i just caught a couple of headlines um but didn't want to interrupt uh, you know, I, I I think the lawsuit is pretty much, it is what it is. It's a continuation of a class action lawsuit that we've previously discussed. I would be more interested to talk about AI and what you see coming on the horizon, especially its disruptive capabilities for our profession. Um, I've started experimenting with it, and it is definitely here to stay and something we're all going to have to adapt to. So what did you learn from the conversations you had that you're at liberty to talk about, Jenko? Just a whole, a whole slew of things. Um, the capabilities, what it actually means, how it works. I think the more I understand, and whatever it is, like like there's different variations of AI. Um, I'm not even. I, some some were like philosophical conversations about semantics and like. Um, evolution and is this a, an, an, another step in kind of the evolution is this a uh, crazy questions like is this like like if everybody prays that somebody somebody get very smart gave me this analogy um, and and I think they use it in like their talk or TED talk or whatever so I won't say but you know, if somebody, if a lot of people pray and they pray in their own language and their own pace and their own tone to their God and God kind of responds back um, in their own language and pace and like in the construction that the prayer has, 
that's what AI, that's what, that's what AI is happening right now. Like everybody is having individualized conversations, not everybody, but everyone interacting is having individualized conversations with this all knowing thing. And this all knowing thing is like contouring the answers to us, to the user. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of fascinated with that aspect of it, the, the technical aspect of how it gets trained and, and all of those IP issues I think is also interesting, but like, what does it mean? And are we looking at it in the right way to be like, okay, is this a tool to augment our, like, like to be in service to us? It might be bigger than that. I'm not sure. Well, you know, it's got me thinking as well. <clears throat> I tested it <clears throat> as soon as it came out, Jenko, And I, I blogged about it actually, even though I'm embarrassed to say <laughs> I got the headline wrong in my tweet that I can never fix without losing the entire post. I called it chat CBT, but that's my bad, but you get the idea. Uh, I tested the version 4.0, immediately subscribed to it, and I gave it a very simple prompt. I, I, I asked it a very generic question to write a legal blog post explaining whether an officer can search a motor vehicle based on the odor of marijuana in Texas. I knew the answer to that question, having practiced criminal defense work as long as I have, especially in Texas. And I waited to see what it spit out. And I was, number one, amazed that it was immediately delivering a full-blown, very nuanced blog post. So out of the gate, I'm pulling people over and saying, hey, look at this. This is incredible. This is the future. And then as I start to dive into it, I noticed that it's giving uh, an analysis and it's talking about how there's been reforms in the law in Texas. And now we have hemp and we have CBD products and how this is now changing the legal paradigm. And then to my stunning surprise, it's cited to a case that doesn't exist. The case name is right, but the case year is wrong. The holding of the case is wrong. The court that the case was decided in is wrong, if presumably that's the case it was talking about. And it was basically suggesting in the court case that courts are now sort of changing direction because hemp can smell like marijuana. That somehow muddies the water in Texas courts as to whether police officers can still justify a search of a vehicle under probable cause if they smell the odor of marijuana. And I had to go back, Jenko, even myself, I had to go back. And this is the danger of AI, in my opinion, because we become so reliant on what we see on screens. I, I had to question myself if I had it wrong. But that's and I had not to... an AI issue. Relying on, on bad info because it's on the screen isn't an AI issue. Like an associate could have given the wrong case opposing counsel could have given the wrong case google could have given the wrong case westlaw we've come to to find is is pretty reliable but like that's not new so 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 understanding fundamentally what it is or what it can be is so important before we all get on the meme of it passed the bar exam. It did this. It did, and then it's like, oh, like just ask AI. It knows everything. No, it does. It 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 brings you information, but like just like the hands that it couldn't draw in its early 
you know, iterations. That's like the case law. Like it's bringing together. It gave a year, which is a possible element. It gave the name of a case. It gave a holding. So it's getting there. But like, I don't. If anyone assumes like it doesn't need to be checked, like that's not even a conversation I want to have. I want to have like like that's the low 10 percent of the world. I'd rather talk about like what the top 10 percent brains are going to do with it as opposed like there's no. There's no rational basis for just assuming things are going to be perfectly correct. Um and that's the, so you're right. It's absolutely scary. But like people assume that with Google, they assume it with the news, they assume it with, you know, a Twitter feed. So like, that's not a new problem. I, I agree. You know, I think that was the, that was the takeaway from what I posted. I said, look, people are worried that this is going to eliminate lawyers. And to a certain degree, it's going to be tremendously disruptive to the legal profession as well as other professions. And I want to talk about another, another thought I've had on the subject outside of law. But I agree. I think what this does is this provides a tremendous resource for lawyers to leverage their time in a much more efficient way. And I will continue to use it because I find tremendous utility in what it does. Um, But lawyers are still going to have to be there to look at the work product and to verify. And I see the future use cases as being very exciting, and I'm not going to stop using it. No question about it. Another observation that I had, Jenko, that I want to talk with you about is MidJourney. You know, MidJourney just upgraded, and I saw a post of the several prompts that were put into MidJourney and the photographs that were generated. And it got me thinking when I looked at these, man, this is going to be so disruptive to the print media and to the ad space. Because when I looked at these pictures and these prompts and what was being produced, which was so lifelike and stunningly beautiful, I thought to myself, well, okay, who needs a set designer anymore? Who needs props? Who needs locations anymore? Who needs hair and makeup? Who needs models, photographers, lighting, editors, copywriters. I mean, all at the end of the day, you really need to put a tremendously slick ad campaign together is a prompt yeah, and mid journey. If, if you gave a designer, I'm just so optimistic based on like the people I've been talking to. And that's the only thing I know is like, how well, bring me back, Jenko. I want to hear your but, thesis. But if, if you told a story about well, it's not going to re- replace lawyers, and here's why. You know the case law, blah blah. If if a if a designer read your answer, they'd be like, "Wow, perfect, beautiful." But a lawyer saw all of the mistakes. So when a lawyer looks at the design and the copyright and everything else, there's still a soul to those and nuances to those professions. I think it can work to enlighten all of us to do our jobs, not just better and more efficient, but potentially do better work, do, do better things, have better ideas because you can have conversations with an AI interface that just brings you down points of view and perspectives that we wouldn't have all, we wouldn't have had. It's the access to multiple points of view 
at our fingertips in addition to the raw information. We've already had raw information at our fingertips for a long time. So the case law doesn't bother me there. Get that right. I feel like it will really open up how we attack things and the game theory of things and, and the strategy. So like anything you caught in the legal thing, I think an interior designer will catch and maybe it works. Like if you're a construction company and you need a website up real quick, the AI design works. But if you're a, 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 a high end interior designer and you're getting contracts in the millions you you want a little like the clientele is looking for a little bit different. So I think that there's always the need for humans on any level of commerce. But I think that this could really I'm looking at it more as an augmented kind of intelligence than just artificial. It's artificial if it's making up the case law, but at some point it could augment our intelligence. Well, you know, it's 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 learning rapidly and it's evolving based upon all the inputs that it's receiving. And I can't imagine that that is going to stop. The exponential growth and improvement of it is only going to increase. But at the end of the day, when, when things generally are dictated by the bottom line, is the fact that you can execute things which traditionally took so much human involvement to generate instantly now by just simply typing a prompt that, that's going to have a disruptive effect on the workforce. And I understand the nuance that there will be, and I think where it's going to come full circle, Jenko, is I think after this revolution mainstreams and gets mass adoption, people are going to come full circle and they're going to crave and they're going to want the human element in creative work. But until we get there, what does it do? What does it do to the, to the, to the parts of the economy that are now essentially, and I hate to say it this way, but potentially expendable based on what this technology can accomplish in seconds. No, as I hear to. you, but that's just, I don't think any industry as is as, um, it's always in a state of disruption and chaos. And that's just not how you run a business. You, you hire somebody to do your website. If, if the website person with the knowledge of how to do a website has tools to do it more quickly, hopefully there's a recalibration in the, the, the cost of those services potentially. But you don't want business leaders or founders or managers sitting down and just now in-house doing everything with an AI I don't think they want to spend there. I think the opportunity cost is still upside down. Like you still want to farm it out to professionals. So I, I, I don't know. Disruption is kind of always happening. I don't see it as perfectly clean where like everybody can be replaced, especially in those like copyright only is valuable because it gets attention and eyeballs. It's not because you get words printed on the screen. So if you get more words printed on the screen on the screen more quickly and more easily and more cheaply, the market is going to respond to those words. And you already see it. People are calling out threads that were written by ChatGPT and posts and LinkedIn things. And, and it kind of like blows the reputation of the, the, the face that goes along with that. So I think there are real checks in place, hopefully. But I, 
I don't know. I, I, if you can manufacture things more quickly, it could be a lot more disruptive than like the, the, the content creation, because that content creation isn't an end in it of itself. I don't think, but we have Ira enlighten us, Ira. Ira, welcome. I think this revolution happened a lot faster than even you as a, as a very deeply tech, uh, involved individual in this space. Did you see this coming on this fast, this adoption coming on so fast? And what do you think? Is this the new industrial revolution? Well, look, you know, I'm, we have to be humble. I mean, this has been an, an incredible parabolic acceleration using artificial intelligence. So I didn't see this parabolic increase over the past year. Um, now, to be fair to me, I mean, going back when I was very young, uh, I'm a computer scientist and I had an emphasis on artificial intelligence stemming all the way from the 1980s. So I, I, I could also say, on the other hand, that I have seen the evolution of this. We have um, LawRobot.com that we started about over a decade ago, where we serviced uh, through that um, project clients who needed chatbots and AI. We used Watson. Um, we used a lot of expert systems, were not, which are not nearly as robust as what we're seeing today. So yes, I've been part of the uh, evolution of this. Um, I, I see the latest chat GPT, you know, four, we've been playing with that as well. I mean, it's unbelievably good, but I do agree with you a lot, Carlo, is that it is more like a, um, a force multiplier, like a CAD cam, say for lawyers. Uh, you have to orchestrate it. You have to nurture it. You have to sort of prod it along, you know, part of it, a very small part of it will be teaching you, but that, that shouldn't be the, the purpose of it. It should be that you should have your thoughts in mind and use it as a um, kind of a thought construction set to get where you want to go. Um, the other day I was playing around with looking through our brief bank for my law firm and um, as well as our transactional stuff, and I was saying, all right, how could we approve limitations of liability clause and how could we improve our arbitration clause and i was thinking wow we could really build a really great set of provisions and clauses now um using this as long as we are good stewards of it same thing with briefs um and it really so on offense it could help be a thought construction set and on defense it could help you analyze what you've already created to look for errors and improvements and that will only get better when it can ingest and learn from your own legacy data, if you have it. And if you're a lawyer, hopefully folks like Westlaw and Lexis will use OpenAI's API and then have it learn over all their um, corpus of materials. And now you'll have something incredible like a you know, much better shepherdization, um, really great ways to see you know, uh, all sorts of problems with the other side's arguments, things like that. So I'm extremely bullish. I think for law, it favors lawyers a lot more than it favors lay people because lay people, to raise point, may fall into a false sense of security, draft some agreement, and then find out, oops, in their state there's the minority view, and that minority view is not manifested, say, in 
whatever this uh, draft agreement is. So, or, or if folks are outside the United States, this appears to be kind of a U.S.-centric corpus of data that it's trained on. You may have different uh, laws, say, in Liechtenstein or Bulgaria or Af- somewhere in Africa than you would, say, in California. So I think right now it's, it's, we're in a great time, but people have to proceed cautiously. Here's a question that's been <clears throat> front of mind for me as far as our profession. <clears throat> if this technology is based on the inputs that you put in, and we as lawyers are privy to you know, confidential client information and proprietary information from clients, if lawyers get to the comfort level where they start plugging this stuff into the AI, is there a danger of breaching that confidentiality <clears throat> and the outputs then could the outputs indirectly breach confidentiality? Because let's say you're punching in, you're you're punching in facts that are very very specific to a set of 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 of, of issues you're dealing with in a case, and now the AI aggregates those facts and could send them out to somebody else in a response to a completely unrelated query. Yeah. The answer is you. The terms of use say that they 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 own the stuff you put in there, Ira. So how do we how do we juggle that ethically? It's not. It's it's yes. It's a significant issue, and it's absolutely not new. Um, it's just that Web3 lawyers like you um, are, are looking at it now in clear view. Since the start of the modern Internet, we pretty much had APIs. And um, I've had companies that built the APIs, and I've been a user of APIs. And we have policies around using APIs. So, for example... I'm representing or building for you know a giant social networking site and I want to go ahead and test the integrity of affiliate signups in the affiliate program and I start using APIs to grab their you know information about them their email address you know whatever public records we can get those API providers could literally know my database on who's in my affiliate program which ought to be a trade secret and then sell that off to somebody else. So that's been a, a big problem with the use of APIs that not a lot of lawyers and tech folks appreciate. Every time you ping or query, you're either overtly giving their database um, information about all your customers or, or your business, um, or you're giving them enough so they can triangulate that and, and, um, and, and do what you're saying. And with lawyers, you have the attorney-client privilege. And so that could also be a, a tremendous problem. So the answer is yes, but the way that some some of the uh, AI APIs work and will work and evolve is that they'll allow for you to have local learning, local ingestion, and you'll have sort of like your own instance on your own server, uh, maybe AWS, whatever, so there's going to be ways to mitigate all that. But you have pointed out what I think may be one of the biggest problems with lawyers and law firms using cloud-based APIs for AI right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Ira. Those those products are, are already available. I'm sure you know others just for the audience. Like I'm already being sold those, um, like the local learning, so so the confidential and proprietary information can stay kind of in-house and I, I mean maybe that's one great use um 
I, 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 I agree, Carlo. That is a, uh, a trap for the unwary. If folks just start dumping proprietary info or, or, um, private info, personal info of clients and, and others. Um, fascinating stuff I, I i think there are a lot of traps but once we get to a point where folks are familiar and sophisticated with it it can unlock so much is <clears throat> without question a great starting point um i think the the real value that we're seeing from our profession is sometimes we just don't know how to get started in solving a complex issue or in beginning the research trail and I think this affords us a tremendous leg up. And for the, the lawyers in the profession who are nimble enough to jump on this, I think it does give them a tremendous strategic advantage. Um, leveraging this for content production, I think, is also uh, a huge leg up because it is very con- it's very time consuming to produce you generic content. Content production, which is genius. It's not content creation. It's not writing the thing from scratch, but it helps in the steps of quality production. Exactly. It, yep. it, it, it enhances the content that you want to put out by eliminating the tedious process of having to lay down the fundamental components of a post or, or a piece of content you can then drill down into the nuanced conversations that you want to have about a subject matter without having to lay all that predicate down that was just so burdensome and time-consuming. You know, one of, one of the ways I work, and I don't know, you know, you know, everyone varies, but as I've gotten older, I've been doing this now for over, <laughs> over 30 years, um, I outline a brief or I outline a contract. Sometimes I just do it on a napkin, you know, or pencil on paper. But, you know, typically what I'll do is I'll do it like in a text message or whatever it is. And it'll be pretty robust. Like, all right, here's our motion to dismiss. And I'll lay it out in an outline form. And then I hand it off to folks who are way smarter than I am, who are more recently graduated law school, who have temperament and the patience to go through and shepherdize and look at all the law and whatever. And they fill in the citations. And then it comes back to me and I edit that. The, the ability to take that outline right now and throw it into ChatGPT and get back something that's not too bad, that is a thought accelerator. That is like having an extra person in your law firm. And so for me, um, I see that part getting way, way, way better. And then you started getting into quality control the things that, uh, that everyone's talking about in terms of shepherdizing, having the right cases, making sure they exist, optimization. You could spend, instead of spending your time on all of the plumbing, you could spend your time on the last 10%, and that's going to help the client. I do think, however, it's going to reduce the need for associates, and that's a shame because you need the associates to get trained to become partners and you know to, to have a great career path but i i definitely see disruption because you know small firms can now much more easily compete with large firms and and uh, at some point when lexus and westlaw come out with their versions of it it's going to be an incredible game changer and i you know there are others who already have it um there's a company that has AI brief writing for quite a while. Um, and I 
other folks that are here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and they've had a great product now for about a couple of years. So it's already out there. Yeah, it's a thought that I had, I think, before you jumped in. It was one of the, one of the jumping points with Jenko and I because I see it potentially eliminating that intermediary law clerk who is there in sort of an apprenticeship role, but also, you know, for the big firms, a paid role. Ira, can you hear Carlo all right? Carlo. I, I didn't uh oh I didn't hear him all right, so I thought it was me, but I guess not. Uh oh. Yeah, I okay. thought it was me, Carlo. You're getting you're getting rug mask giving the thumbs down. Uh oh. Um, Am I better now? Yeah. Yeah. Wherever Sorry, you gang. Right there. Yeah, no, we were we were talking, Ira, about this, I think, before you jumped in and how this may eliminate sort of that apprenticeship intermediary role that young lawyers play in our profession, because they're the ones that do all that heavy lifting. They pay their dues, you know, doing that intense document review and doing the research and editing. And we have to agree that this is going to uh, eliminate that for many big it'll firms. It'll put pressure. It'll it'll. I think the market will decide because having an associate brings a lot more value than just that work product. Um, so I don't know if it's totally eliminated, but it, it'll be disrupted. Um, so I what don't, do we tell young lawyers, Jenko? Well, well, before we get there, I want to make one point. Um, jurisprudence has, it's not always a great analogy because the AI can be trained on previous case law which has gone through judges which is published which has its own bounds and when ai is trained on other things just you know newspapers or twitter feeds or just the chatter of everybody you you get potentially distorted answers so like while jurisprudence can be relied on in other professions, I just I, I it scares me because like we, there's historical biases against all sorts of people and against all sorts of geographies. And I hate for the AI to like find that and then spit it out and exacerbate it as opposed to like so like when lawyers are like, well, it's truth. It's, it's just skipping that associate heavy learning or heavy work. In other areas, it may not. Maybe like weather and the law. But like medicine, it shouldn't. Medicine, it should be really checked because there's there's historical biases there. Um, so that's the one point that whenever there's a discussion on this, I, I make sure to at least kind of throw out. But what do we tell young lawyers, you know, you know, quit law school and go to computer science? I don't know. Well, look, I mean, even computer science is in danger because we're seeing what what this thing can do with code and it could very rapidly eliminate the need for coders. You know, when I talk to young people, Jenko, I take this Someone approach with this. Someone has to do something, Carlo, right? Someone has to do something. But, but here's the, the approach I take. Do stuff and then everyone else will hang out and play PlayStation. Which tell, me if the, tell me if this is – tell me if you think this is prudent advice because this is what I tell young people. If you're going into college and you're, you're honing down on a profession – Think about what aspects of that profession are going to be outsourced or eliminated by this technology 
and then find a way to bring value there by always, always having your specialization require the human touch because this is never going to eliminate the human touch. It'll augment that, but it will certainly eliminate the team side. We had a fury of hands go up. So a lot of folks have things to say. I couldn't agree with you more, Carlo. I don't know if an 18-year-old kid can outpace technology. They should just get some skills and figure it out. But but I'll let you go around the room and, and host because uh, a fury of folks jumped up. Ben, let's hear from you first because I think you're new to the show. Joe, you're a regular. We'll hear from you next. Thank you for joining us on Lexline. Uh, Bez or Ben? I don't know where Ben is. Bez, oh, Bez, okay. Bez. That's okay. my no, bad. No, no worries. Bad. No worries. I just didn't want to jump Bez. the line. Um, I love where this uh, conversation is going. Um, well, I've been having that that conversation and asking those same questions for close to 30 years now. call but i um my point is we should in any profession be looking to what can be automated what can be replaced i mean back in the day there used to be a switchboard and people would connect you to someone else and then you'd have you know on the phone um a long time ago there used to be a secretary that would manage your calendar and and put things on your calendar manually now you know we have a google calendar we've got all these um, everything you should, you know, I, I'm in HR and talent acquisition and I always ask, you know, challenge my colleagues, what can, where can we be replaced? Where, what stuff that we do today can be automated? And a lot of times that question makes people feel uncomfortable, but if you're uncomfortable, you're in the you're in the wrong spot of this equation. You need to be on the other side thinking, what can we automate? What can what task we do can be replaced? And as you go through that journey, you start to see that there are a lot of tasks that that can be automated, which actually then pushes you more to that critical thinking, high-end uh interface human connection type of role. And in the medical profession, they're always um, talking about operating at the top of your license. Like when you go to the doctor now, it's not the doctor that takes your temperature and does your vitals. It's not even a nurse anymore. It's a medical assistant. They pay 15 bucks an hour who has a certificate. And one day when you walk into the doctor, it's like walking into CVS and you stick your hand in, in some machine or your arm and blah, blah, blah. And it takes your, it does all your vitals. I mean, we're headed there and we should, I mean, surgeons now, they don't have to be in the same room. You could use the Da Vinci robotic. I mean, there's many, many things. And we just got to keep asking the question every day, every day, because now we've got um, awesome technologies and there's even crazier technologies on the horizon and we haven't even gotten to quantum computing. So I think it's just exciting times. We just got to keep getting uncomfortable, asking the questions, and stay ahead of the curve. Before we pivot to Joe, I asked the question. I asked. I just asked ChatGPT the question, is ChatGPT the next industrial revolution? 
And after going into an explanation and introduction, it closed with the following comment. It observed what the Industrial Revolution was and how it was disruptive and impacted profound impact on society. And then it closed with this comment. While I'm not capable of creating such large-scale changes on my own, I can be used as a tool to help individuals and organizations to innovate and adapt to new technologies and ways of working. Therefore, I would say that I am part of the ongoing technological revolution rather than the next industrial revolution. I agree with that. And it's a tool. There'll be new tools. There'll be, I I mean, it is part, I'm so down on that, that how they look at it, because if you think you're to the end all, you're not. So I love, I love the response. Fascinating. Joe, what do you think? And in Ira, I think you got something to add. Did you meet Johnny? Man, I'm terrible today. Johnny, (laughs) you know why? Because I can only see the first two letters of everybody's name on this damn Twitter space. I'm sorry. You can? Oh, wow. Um, So I think I told you guys last time, I'm fresh, fresh out of law school. I'm the the last graduating class to not have ChatGPT. I've finished in December and the first to be maybe replaced by it. Uh, which is, I, I feel That's really anxious, funny. to be honest with you. <laughs> the first to be replaced. You're right, because I relate it out. Like, like for those associates are going to be the first to go. No, but no, go no, ahead, Johnny. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for repeating that. It doesn't echo in my brain all night. Um, and it, it was, at first it was, it's alarming, right? And I've been going full force into this, right? I work at a small firm right now, and I'm trying to get them up to speed. Like, These old partners are going to hire you to write the prompts. <laughs> yeah well, that's what i'm trying to do i'm like hey listen because i work with just a couple other guys we're a small small firm i was like we gotta we gotta get on this now and at first they kind of poo-pooed me i'm like no 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 we we want to compete we got to do this and it, it i'm trying to be optimistic and hopeful that i can be uh i can work for myself there's a bigger chance that i can make a good living working for myself right? I don't necessarily have to go into big law to learn the ropes and all this stuff. Like I could swing it now that I have this assistant. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't have to. Even without the assistant, you could, but go ahead. Right. But it's, it's still kind of a scary endeavor, right? But even if I'm not like, I don't have to pursue law. I could just be a lawyer who's an entrepreneur that has this whole vast team at my command and I understand the workings of how the law works and how business works. So that, that makes me a much better entrepreneur. You know, I could just look at my, my career differently now. And I'm trying to be optimistic about it rather than, Oh, boohoo. I won't get a, a get to bill a bunch of hours for some big law firm. Uh, I'm screwed. Uh, it's not all bad. I'm trying to be optimistic. That's what I'm saying. It's definitely easier for the little guy. It's easier for the younger guy. It's e- easier for the person with less access to capital. It's it's gives a fighting chance to people on the outside or who grew up in the wrong zip code. I see it as a potential equalizer. Ira? Yeah. Um, all right. So we, we've been talking a little bit, and, and uh, Matt, I, I see your hand up. I apologize. Um, we've been talking a little bit about how this could make us more efficient, both in terms of drafting as well as responding. But maybe the biggest revolution will be in how we become more effective. And there could be all sorts of ethical hacking that's on the horizon, sort of to what Bez was kind of alluding to. 
where we could do everything from ingesting everything for a particular judge and seeing what things are important to him or her in deciding a case and then gear our briefs and our argument in that way. We could also do something which, for better or for worse, probably needs to be done, and that is use AI to analyze, are they a good judge? (laughs) Are they a good judge? Uh, Because in some ways, arguing cases is arguing metaphors, and the intelligence and accuracy level of of like open AI can get to the point where they can see how consistent judges are in applying precedent to different cases. And you'll also be able to tell for better or for worse, which will be an enjoyable conversation that we may have on LexLine one day, how much of a strict constructionist is a judge versus a judicial legislator? Because, you know, wherever your political leanings are, and, and we love due process, trust me, okay? Um, that could be manifested, that could be outed um, by AI. And AI probably likes strict constructionists way a lot better because then you have more predictability in what the output should be for a particular case. So there is this incredible revolution on the horizon. You could look at the effectiveness of associates because... You can measure with metrics the quality of their arguments, both from a transcript as well as in briefs. And this can go on and on and on and on. And so I think that we're going to become much more effective lawyers, but I'm not entirely sure it will be much more enjoyable to be a lawyer when you can be open to such scrutiny, whether you're a lawyer or a judge on on your work product. So, but I think it's, it's inevitable this is going to happen. Great observation. Matt, always a pleasure to have you in the house, and then we'll, we'll kick it back to Bez. Thanks for having me, guys. I've been ha- My arm got stiff from keeping it up, so I'm, I finally put it down. Um, I wanted to answer a question um, regarding what should younger lawyers or new lawyers do um, face with these changing times. And, and I think that, unfortunately, there will be some jobs that will be eliminated, but that just means that there's an opportunity for others. And like everybody's been saying, and I think everybody probably in this, you know, spaces agrees that these skills you're going to need to be familiar with, possibly list them on resume and be able to discuss them when a potential employer says, are you familiar with X, Y, and Z? Just like they'll ask you, are you familiar with Clio? Are you familiar with Perfect Law? By the way, I'm not plugging any of these entities, but you know they're gonna they're gonna want to know. Even familiar with Westlaw or whatever, they're gonna say, "Are you familiar with this?" And if you say yes, you you're gonna want to get that job. You're gonna want to do your thing. You best believe that they're gonna know how to use it too, to an extent. So you really need to be prepared to be able to use that as a tool to to go. Don't fight it. It's not nothing to fight, but use it to improve your product and to make you shine. And then eventually, at some point, it's going to be standard anyway. And that's just going to be the way that it is. And no one's going to know any any different. But I would say now is a great opportunity. Like a lot of us have been saying, take those skills, hone in on those skills, become, quote unquote, experts in those skills, 
to be able to differentiate yourself from others, um, others that may have gone to top law schools or graduated really high, maybe have no idea how to use these tools and be prepared for these firms that are going to be asking about it and that are going to be wanting to see these qualities and, and these skills. And you're going to start listing them on LinkedIn and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, like litigation or whatever it is that you're doing, it's going to be AI or, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, legal assistance. So embrace it. And now's the time to really to enjoy it and to to use it to excel. I think I think the young folks are a lot more adaptable and open and like on a path of technology use Um and it, they, they just see things differently than some of us older guys. So I'm optimistic. I think of Zach, our friend Zach um, from Barristers, Blockchain Barristers. He saw the moving tide toward blockchain and kind of dove in. And cre- that curiosity really opens up a lot of opportunities. Baz, what's up, man? So I wanted to uh, dovetail off of something Ira said about um, you know, evaluating and and uh, rating judges. And um, I, I was um, uh, went back to my alma mater, La Sierra University, to do um, a career fair. I, at the time, I was working at Kaiser Permanente, and this kid comes up to me. This is years ago, and um, hands me his resume. And there was um, he had created a company there on campus. And it was uh, called rate my professor or rate my teacher.com or something like that. Right. And I said, well, tell me about that. And how's it going? And he told me what was, you know, it's like to basically evaluate the quality of the professor on campus. And they had or- made a small company and they were tr- getting ambassadors to go um, through uh, throughout, you know, just to, to go go out there and and do this and he had all even done it with um with school books but anyways i asked him so how's it going he goes oh they shut me down they ran me out they they don't want anything to do with it but you know this concept of ratings you know is everywhere it's all around us right um yelp whatever you call it uh, why can't every single one of us in our own profession be rated, right? And uh, judges included. So I love where you went with this. Um, I, I'm interested to see how far Yelp reviews goes. So anyways, that's all I wanted to say. You, you know, it's, it gets interesting, Bez. Yeah, and very, very well stated. I um, It can get to the point where uh, we can have ingestion uh, farms as part of the media and for better or for worse you know you'd have reporters just ingesting briefs and arguments on motions to dismiss and motions for summary judgment and just like a football telecast they would be coming back with odds on winning and things of that nature all automated so there'd be disclaimers on it but you can also you can imagine that this this can start becoming almost a form of news and entertainment and helpful to investors who have shares of stocks who are involved in, in cases. So there's a lot that's going to happen over the, you know, the near term. Whether it's responsible or not, we'll, 
we'll wait to see. But, you know, I, I see when you have the speed of chat GPT applied to giant corpuses of complex data that was before this really unavailable for analysis by the public, uh, I think that stuff could start getting analyzed and hopefully in a responsible manner. Before we kick it to Johnny, not Joe, Ira, here's the question for you. If you were back 30 years at the beginning of your career and this technology was in the fold, what would you be doing to adapt? Well, when I started my career, there was a company that we worked with in Palo Alto called Neuron Data, and they had expert systems. Those were rule-based systems. So you had knowledge engineers who'd make the rules. It took a long time. They're very kind of like if-then rules, and kind of like the chatbots we have today, a little bit like hot docs. And they were really good at just sort of doing very, very narrow tasks. Uh, right now, I'm old. So I probably wouldn't have done any, anything different because I, I did become literate in computer science. I know how to code. And I did the best I could with the tools we had available to evolve in, in, uh, with law and computer science. But I will tell you exactly what I would do right now if I was young and working for a law firm and starting a law firm. I would absolutely start something like lawrobot.com for my firm. I'd want my firm to not only be really good at whatever the area of law is, you know, it could be anything from personal injury to divorce law, but I want my firm to have a branch, sort of like Quinn Emanuel has, of e-discovery, so you don't have to farm it all out, and you could be vertically and horizontally integrated, and technology-assisted review, which uses AI to look through big document productions and, and discovery, and legal tech for implementing every flavor of AI APIs. I think that it's going to become so important that firms to compete effectively have a CTO, a chief technology officer, and it's going to become in some ways, um, you know, a requirement. And we're going to then see these CTOs go to conferences where they'll be discussing integration of many, 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 many AI APIs to have kind of meta, meta kind of uh, implementation so that you don't just run it through open AI, you throw it through a hundred of them and they, uh, they're sitting there in the background coming out with something that's got the IQ of like a hundred APIs and now all of a sudden you are at a competitive advantage, you advertise it and you're a, you're a leader in that space. So that's, that's my quick answer to your question, Carla. I love it. All right, Johnny, I want to hear from you, but I want to kick it to you as well as a new lawyer coming into the space. You've got this technology in the fold. What are you doing to adapt? I'm trying to get familiar with it as much as I can. Um, I've, I've started learning Java already. I don't know why. That's maybe just a knee-jerk impulse <laughs> now that I'm done with law school. Um, but I think, I think, you know, I'm taking notes from Ira here. Like, I need to get connected. I need to be going to conferences, getting in these kind of spaces. That's what I'm trying to do now uh, throughout the day. Um, in the hopes of being able to augment my firm with this technology. Um, all I can do is be familiar with it, I guess, right now in, in practice. Um, one of the areas I see uh, for the most impactful disruption, I think, 
uh, is legal fields that aren't economically or financially rewarding but have big impacts as far as justice goes. Specifically, you know, I, I work with a few inmates, um, have retaliation, First Amendment retaliation claims, and the mire of bureaucracy and bullshit they put up with in these prison systems could be completely eliminated with a layer of AI uh, counsel. Um, so I'm really hopeful for, for areas of law like that, where there's people who have been kind of, uh, they don't have access to legal services, maybe they're in a legal de desert living out in the urban area or a rural area, or they're in some sort of system where they just don't have access or education to legal uh, advice. Uh, we could see the most disruption, I think, in that space uh, for positive change, just a thought. Excellent, Johnny, thank you. Ruben. Long time no talk, Ruben. Welcome to LexLine. How are you? Uh, I'd give it a seven, maybe seven and a half out of ten today. Uh, good call on uh, Johnny on uh, the delta between you know where some of the stuff might be might be revealed. Um, I've been I had a I've had a sort of tepid take over the last couple of years around where the um, the opportunities lie in terms of access to justice um, as a, as a non-attorney slash legal enthusiast slash technology amateur. Um, and I, I think pretty consistently there's this uh, delta between rights that exist for an individual, rights that exist for an individual that the individual is aware of, and rights that exist for the individual where the benefit of exercising that right um, is greater than the burden of execution, right? Or, or sort of um, bring that right to bear. So to the extent that, you know, there's a lot of um, legal processes that, you know, there, whether it's a complexity burden, right? Well, there's a lack of plain language. I don't know when the last time you got a class action claim form was. Um, but, you know, I, I, I remember... Um, in hanging out in class action land, uh, seeing some of the notification by the settlement administrator. And it was like two pages long, uh, you know, for a claim filing structure that, you know, it took 15 minutes to get through the, the noise to actually file this claim, um, you know, for a recovery of like $5.60 by the end of it. Right. Um, something, something Equifax. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's less than minimum wage for the average person, right? But if you can automate that out of the process, um, now you can sort of get a material engagement from, um, you know, in pursuit of balancing the equities um, from the various sort of stakeholders through sort of various layers of automation. Um, you know, and, there, and, and what's frustrating for me is I see some of the actors that I see in that space in terms of automation uh, for legal process and services uh, aren't coming from attorneys um, for a number of reasons, but first and foremost, uh, malpractice issues, right? Um, I, I see them coming from technologists who may hire counsel um, who may or may not actually be giving them strong guidance, but, you know, releasing products that, you know, file your small claims court or, you know, fight your, <laughs> there's already a few people in the room who, who, who know who I'm talking about here, but the, uh, one of whom just got sued recently by Adelson over in Chicago. And, and I think, you know, they had come in for a while, but um, the frustrating part is when technologists enter into the tech scene, um, you know, 
they're making business decisions um, and it's setting precedent and that's that's a problem like it's not you can't there's no version control on on precedent right like it once it's there it's there so i i i would um implore and beseech uh those who are interested around this area um and working with companies uh in in the legal context you know, I guess to stay close to the founders and, and make sure they're not shooting themselves and everybody else in the foot at the same time, right? Yeah, good point, Ruben. Bez, you got your hand up again. We'll give you the closing remarks. We generally go an hour, especially on Friday, because we like to get everybody a head start on the weekend. <laughs> what are your closing thoughts on the subject, Bez? Um, boy, it's um, I, I'm looking to learn. I um, going back to um, uh, healthcare data. And um, back when I was working at Kaiser, you, we had um, something that came out of there. They had the Garfield Innovation Center. Uh, two doctors um, came up with a project called Archimedes. They spun it off. In the end, they were developing what they called models back then off big data. And uh, they could predict how long you would live. Um, interesting stuff. I want to know with the AI where it is today, now that we've got neural networks online, how far has that gone? So I'm going to be looking into that. Like, how has that project gotten, how has it advanced as we now have at the consumer level access to AIs that we can play around? So uh, looking to learn and looking to um, keep on finding out um, or ask better questions. I think we're all going to be along for this ride for a while, and you do bring up great points. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. And uh, you know that if you missed it or if you want to hit, tune back, you can always catch us on uh, Spotify and on Apple Podcast, Lexline. We've got this as well as our other previous episodes available for download and listen to. I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend, and I know we'll all be continuing to think about this topic, and I'm sure it'll come up again. Thank you to my co-host, Jenko, and everyone who came up to speak. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone. We'll do it again soon.